love AJ, and uh, I'm happy to be here. You know, I just know that as we celebrate 31 years of ministry, man, that's right. That's, that's worth And you may say, well, I wasn't here for 31 years. You could be here for the next 31. Praise God. And uh, I believe that the Lord has just a, I want to I give you a word of encouragement today. And we've been talking about, or not been, but just this last week, we talked about what it means to be an epic church. And we're giving six characteristics of, of what God has placed on our hearts that it means to be an epic church, a church that will never be forgotten, a church that will always be remembered. And, and it's six things that we'll live our lives by as a, as a body of believers. And the first thing we talked about last week was big, bold faith, always stepping out in faith. And at the end of the service, we talked about all the steps of faith we've already taken. And there's, I know there's so many more that God has for us. Amen. And I'm encouraged by knowing that the Lord has more for us. But today, I want to talk to you about a topic that's actually really near and dear to my heart. And about five years ago, I was on Boston Avenue by Massimo's Pizza across the street, and I was in the plaza where that little cell phone shop is at by the post office. And, and the owner of the cell phone shop had just opened up, and he had asked me to come and bless the business and to pray over it. And so I went there with a friend of mine, and we went to pray. We, we just lifted up the name of Jesus in that place. And then we ended up ministering to the lady who was at the counter whose son had just been murdered. And it was, a, it was an amazing opportunity to just give her hope and to speak to her about the love of Christ in the midst of tragedy. Amen. How many of you know God can take your tragedy into triumph? Amen. And I thought that that was, you know, a memorable, a memorable moment. And so I'm walking out, and I'm just amazed by God, and I, I just hear somebody yelling, Pastor! And I'm like in just still contemplating what just transpired in the, in the building. And I passed her and I hear a horn beeping. And I'm looking around and I don't see anybody that I know. And then I just keep on hearing, Pastor. And now that voice I know. When somebody says it like that, like, you ain't saying hi to me yet, Pastor. And so I looked and in the car was this young lady who, who had been attending the church and she was with a friend. Uh, if I remember correctly, her friend was driving. It was the friend's car. So that's why I didn't recognize the car. And she's in the front seat. And I'm telling you the truth. I, this is, I don't recommend you do this, what I did. I went to the car and I greeted them. She introduced me to the friend. And, and the friend just, you know, I don't, I don't know, just something about this person that I felt compelled to, to, just to joke with them. And, 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 and this girl was wearing, you know, you know those little, little coats you have with the fur around the hoodie? I said, oh, girl, look at you with your J-Lo jacket. And then she had some really old Uggs on, and I said they were mugs. And, and she had these green pants on, and her name is Carla. And, and Carla was sitting there. She was laughing. We were laughing so hard. I must have spoke to them for about 10 to 15 minutes. It was freezing cold. And furthermore, for that 10 minutes, we made fun of each other. We just cracked jokes. Well, you're short. Well, you're this. Well, you're that. I don't care. I got this. We were just, and she, at the end of it, she said, are you sure you're a pastor? I get that a lot, and that's all right. I'm just me. Praise God. And, and she, are you sure? And I wouldn't recommend this evangelistic approach. I wouldn't recommend, hey, you, with those ugly shoes, do you want to go meet Jesus? You know. But it was just something that was just so, it just naturally transpired. And I said to the young lady, I said, well, listen, if you don't believe that I'm a pastor, why don't you come to my church this Sunday? And she was like, Ugh. I was like, do you do stuff on Sundays? Yeah, sleep. But listen, that's not something. That's nothing. 
you can come to church. And so she said, I'll come. And that Sunday, she came to church, and she heard a message. We had preached that Sunday. It was called, Get Your Dreams Out of That Coffin. And it was a powerful message. And that Sunday, Carla Lamute gave her life to Jesus. And that was five years ago, and she's still in the church. She's still volunteering in kids' ministry. She was baptized August 2nd of the same year, and she, she ended up being a productive part of the body of Christ, and all because I took the time to invite someone I didn't know to church. Let me, let me give you a statistic. Let me, let me give you a statistic. 98% of Christians don't talk about their faith. 98% of Christians never speak to their friends about coming to church. 98%, God forgive us, of believers, especially six months after their, their moment of salvation, they stop bringing people to Jesus. They stop talking about it. They stop caring about the world. They no longer want someone to see the light they've seen. They just shut down. And you may say, well, pastor, why do I want to share my faith? You know, my faith is personal. No, it's not. Your faith is public because he died publicly for your personal sins. Well, I don't want to force my, I don't want to force my beliefs down someone's throat. Well, if you don't talk to them about your beliefs, you are rejecting the gospel for them and sending them to hell. So I'd rather tell you about my beliefs and you be upset at me at some point, if you do get upset, than rather not tell you and reject Jesus on your behalf. Here's another statistic done by a doctor who was about to write a book about, about the condition of the church. That 8 out of 10 unchurched people, 8 out of 10, 80% of church, unchurched rather, people, if a friend, a coworker, or family member invited them, they said they would go to church. They would come to know Christ. They would have no, no problem giving it a shot. So on one hand, you have 98% of us who won't talk to anybody. And on the other half, you have 82% of the world waiting for someone to talk to them. If we're going to be an epic church, we have to be a church of bringers. People who bring others to encounter Jesus. Because oftentimes we get so caught up, and I'm telling you, we get so caught up in this walk sometimes that we are always looking for our blessings we're always looking for God to move in our lives. We're always looking for God, what he could do for me and in me and through me. And sometimes it's what God wants to do through you for somebody else. And I wonder how many Billy Grahams we walk by every day. How many Kim Walkers are singing in the wrong places. I wonder how many Brian Houston's, the senior pastor of, of Hillsong's church. I wonder how many of him are, are in our streets. I wonder how many of the greatest minds in business for the kingdom of God are still peddling drugs in the street. I wonder how many people we walk by every day and yet don't approach them about Christ because we are too busy, we are too consumed, we have our own issues. Here's the thing about issues and storms in life. I, I've learned this about issues. Number one, you're always going to have them. Praise God. True story. I've been having issues since I was five. <laughs> Don't mind. And, and this is what I learned about storms. Either you're headed into one, in the middle of one, or just got out of one. It's one of those three. Who are you bringing before God? 
how many of the greatest men and women of God are being systematically, spiritually aborted because we are not declaring the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost souls of this nation. The first thing we should think is, is God forgive us. And the second thing is, well, Lord, how do we do this? And I want to talk to you about one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Uh, he, he's an, a disciple of Jesus, and he's an amazing man. And he, his name is, is Andrew. If you're writing, you know, write anything down today, you should be taking notes. Write down the story of Andrew. I, I, when I was at kids camp, maybe 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, and they gave a, a teaching on Andrew. And I left there saying to myself, man, I want to be like Andrew. And you might be saying, well, pastor, why do you want to be like Andrew? We're going to find that out today. Amen. Let's pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the worship team. We thank you for Pastor John. We thank you for Pastor Jose, who made me cry during communion. And we just thank you, Lord, for every single soul that is in this auditorium today. Every person who might be close to you and those who are far, we love them just the same. We ask you that you would touch them, you would transform them, you would move in their lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Andrew is an amazing disciple of Jesus Christ. Andrew is a fisherman by trade, and Andrew is kind of like, you know, a man's man. He's a real rough kind of guy living in the areas where Jesus was at at the time. And I'm going to give you three different scriptures, and so I want to talk to you about the character and the life of Andrew. Andrew had a specific gift that we see in Scripture. Andrew is not someone, when you talk about the greatest of the apostles that you would speak of, he's one of the ones that after Jesus died almost goes into obscurity. We don't really know what his role was in the church, but Scripture tells us of three things that Andrew did before Jesus died. Three things that Andrew did. And the first one we find in the book of John, the first chapter, in the 35th verse. John chapter 1, verse 35. And and at this point in time, Andrew is a disciple of John the Baptist. He is a godly man. He is a God-fearing man. And like every other Jew, Andrew is still waiting for the Messiah that was prophesied over and over and over. And then one day, this happens. This happens one day. Just like many of us are waiting for the rapture, the second coming of Christ. This is what happens with Andrew's day when he's waiting for the first coming of Jesus. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus and he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And one of those two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, 
which means Peter. Andrew was the disciple of John the Baptist, and Andrew is faithfully with his rabbi, his teacher, John. And they're all waiting for the Lamb of God to come. They're all waiting for the Messiah King that would sit on the throne of David as prophesied in the Old Testament. And here is John, his teacher, declaring, wait no longer, there is the Messiah. And in an instant, all of Andrew's life has been confirmed. In an instant, all the waiting has been paid off. In an instant, Andrew has found everything that he has been longing for. Andrew has come in contact with Jesus. Andrew now sees before him in the flesh the Messiah. Many have come before him waiting for Messiah. Ever since God made the promise to Abraham and then to David, people have been waiting. Solomon was waiting and the judges of Israel were waiting and Hezekiah the king were waiting and Elisha and Elijah the prophets were waiting and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos and Jonah, they were all waiting and Daniel and all the characters of the scripture were waiting for the long-awaited Messiah. And of all people, this obscure fisherman from the Galilean area, this obscure, he gets one of the first glimpses of the Lamb of God, and Andrew's life will never be the same. Andrew's life is utterly and totally changed. The excitement was real. I remember when I first met my wife, and I knew she was the one that I had been waiting for. And all the men said, Amen. All the women are like, Well, I didn't know he was the one at first. I waited a couple weeks. I met my wife on Valentine's Day of 2010. It was late at night. I was on Facebook. She friend requested me. And I took that as a marriage proposal. <laughs> but she didn't know that. And so she, you know, I was already planning our wedding. And y'all think I'm playing. And she didn't even know who I was. I interviewed her. date. <laughs> asked her all types of questions, inappropriate questions. I, I told you before, I asked her how your feet look, you know. <laughs> I had told God I can't marry a girl with ugly feet, praise God. <laughs> and when she wouldn't show me, I just went on Facebook and found a, a picture of her with open-toed shoes, amen. <laughs> and now half you think I'm crazy, but I was just waiting on God. <laughs> and this is moment that you just, I just knew. I said, curly head, she sings, big, nice eyes, pretty, I'll take it. Praise God. But she had not yet known that she was going to marry me. But I remember the next day, I'm like telling everybody. I'm telling Emma. I'm telling Danielle. I'm pulling people into my office. You wouldn't believe it. I met her. I know it's her. Oh, my God. And, and I went to go show her picture to my cousin, and she had deleted her Facebook. Like, I met her on this day. She must not have known that I was her husband because she deleted her Facebook. But thank God I had got that phone number. Amen. So what I was saying was that... What I was saying was that when you find a person, you, you want to tell all your friends. Like when you're on a date and your, your girlfriend's all texting you, ooh, girl, how's it going? Tell me. Like, wait till I get home. And if you don't respond, they know it's really good. If you respond too quick, that's a problem. This conversation's bad or something's wrong. But do you remember finding that person and saying, this is going to be the one? Having that peace? Take that and multiply it by 10, plus infinity, and that's how Andrew feels. For thousands of years, they've waited, and I found Jesus.
of all the people on the face of the planet to meet him. My rabbi says, behold the Lamb of God, and his life is forever changed. And then Peter encounters this Jesus, this loving Savior, full of grace and truth, as John would describe him, this God in the flesh walking the earth. He says in verse 1 of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. In verse 14, would you understand that God in the flesh came down? And here is Andrew meeting Jesus. So much so that he was excited at the first thing he did was he brought his brother to meet Jesus. His brother was not the church type. <laughs> Maybe like much of your family, amen. Here, here's my first point today for you. First point is this, that bringers give invitations for transformation. You don't invite someone to church based on how they currently are. You invite them based on what God's going to do in their life. You see, Andrew, because Peter also was a disciple of John, so Andrew goes and he's like, Pete, I, I have found the Messiah. I found him. Well, how do you know? John said he's the Messiah. So they both go and they go. And Andrew and Peter, these brothers, they, they go to Jesus. And now Jesus says to them in Matthew 4, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. So they had met him. They left him. And then he says, follow me. And so they went and they began to follow Jesus. And Andrew never knew what Peter would do for the kingdom. And he did not know that although Peter was a loud mouth, Peter was violent, and Peter was, had a dirty mouth. He was cursing at people in the Bible. And Peter had a temper and he was quick to speak not listen although peter had all these problems although peter got rebuked by jesus and jesus said get thee behind me satan to peter all of that he had no idea that on the day of pentecost during the birthing of the church that the person he led to jesus would be the one to save three thousand people in the day God used all the problems with Peter, the boldness and the big mouth for the glory of God. You give people an invitation for transformation when you say, come with me to the house of God. It's not religion we're giving out here. We're not pimping out religion. We want God to change your life. We don't want you to be touched and followed by God. We want you to be transformed from the inside out. And for God to radically change you and you can see that there is more than just rules and regulation, but there is relationship and love and freedom and joy in the house of God. But based on the fact that some of us have no joy, we can't invite others into the joy. And do you know, do you know what Andrew had to have with Peter in order to invite his family? He had to have good relationship. And many of us, oh, let's just be honest today, we can't invite everybody in our family because there's broken relationship. But where there is good relationship, where there is good stewardship of who God has put in your life, you can begin to say and reach others and give them invitations to transform their lives. Do you understand that although Andrew knew Jesus longer, Peter got the top spot? And Andrew didn't have a problem. I love the verse where it says, and Andrew first went away and he brought his brother Simon Peter to Jesus. 
Do you understand that when you say to someone, hey, come with me to the house of God, you're not saying come so you can fill a seat. You're saying come so you can have an opportunity for transformation in your life. You want to see broken dreams come back alive? Put them in the hands of Jesus. You want to see dead children who are in comas come out? Call on the name of Jesus. You want to see God do a mighty work? Give it to Jesus. It's obvious that Andrew was excited. Do you remember when you first got saved? Many of us, when you first got saved, you were just on fire for God. You were telling everybody about Jesus. You were offending everybody on Facebook. You didn't care what no one said. You were, you were on fire with no wisdom. You're going straight to hell, dude. You, <laughs> sinner. But I'm not. Come where I'm at. And that kind of doesn't work sometimes. You, hellbomb boy. Come here. No, no. But we were, we were telling everybody about that church we found at Howard Avenue, or that church you found at the high school at Bassick, or that church you started visiting at the Klein Memorial Auditorium, or that church you started visiting at the Harbor Yard Arena. I had to just, in faith real quick, amen. <laughs> I had to throw it out there in faith. Praise God. Oh, stop. Let me stop. <laughs> but you, you told everybody, and you were excited about it. You understand what I'm saying? And I found this passage in Hebrews 10, and I always think about whenever I'm losing my joy, whenever I'm losing my, my, my ambitious nature for Christ, I, I always come back to this, and, and it's going to resonate for some of you. Hebrews 10, verse 32, and Paul is talking to the, to the believers, and he says, Recall the former days after you were enlightened, meaning after you were given the gospel of grace and your mind was turned on and, and the light bulb went on and you were saved by grace and not through your works. He says, Remember when you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes, rather, excuse me, and sometimes being partner with those who were so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one, talking about Jesus and eternal life. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. In other words, Paul is saying this. Remember when you first came to Jesus and everything, you can go through any storm and you didn't care because you had Jesus. And you, you came out of church and you got bad news and that's all right. God's on my side. Gas tank hits empty and you ain't got no money because you gave any offering. That's all right. God will provide. No food in the, in the house, but God's going to do it. Won't he do That's right. And then as you get further along in your Christian walk, oh God, why? I've endured so much for you, Lord. He's like, but I bailed you out every time. And Paul is saying, don't you remember in the beginning when you would endure it with a smile, but now you are all types of, I don't know if we made the right choice in serving God. It's the same thing as as your faith grows, sometimes our faith goes. It seems that the longer we are in church, the less we want to move in God's will. And the longer we're in church, the less we talk about church. Just like you go from talking about that new guy to, man, could you believe that he burped when we were on our way to the movies? Didn't even say, excuse me, dirty. Would you believe he got me white roses instead of red roses? But he got you roses. 
would you believe that he, he actually got me the wrong size shirt? He must have thought I was fat. <laughs> and oftentimes, the person you were once thanking God for, you're not like, oh, my God, I wish you would leave my life. All the married people said, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Husband want to say amen, but they can't. Praise God. Your wife is too close. But remember the first excitement you had as compared to now. And as I'm sitting here, many of you might be thinking to yourself, man, who is the last person I actually actively tried to bring before the presence of God? Church, what are we doing? I know what Andrew is doing. Andrew was being a bringer. The second time we see Andrew, rather, the next time we see Andrew is, is in John chapter, chapter 12. And I, I've rearranged some of the text here, so I'm using the last, this is the last instance of, of Andrew's exploits for Christ. And, and, and check this out. John 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Here's, here's point number two, really simple today. Here's point number two, that bringers go before Jesus on behalf of the outcast. That bringers go before the Lord on behalf of the outcast. Because these Greeks, although they were part of the Jewish faith, they had come over into the Jewish faith. Now was a time of Passover and thousands of Jews were pilgrimaging to, to, to Jerusalem. And now they're all there. But these Greeks were also worshiping Jehovah, Yahweh. They were also doing it, this small group of Greeks. And, and the Bible says that they went to Philip and they probably went to Philip because he had a Greek name. And they said, hey, Philip, we would also like to see the Messiah. And the problem is, is that Jesus... Jesus would tell people throughout Scripture, like he told the woman who was from Canaan, she said, she said Lord, I need this or that. And he said, listen, I'm, my, my mission is for the lost sheep of Israel, not the Gentiles. You see, Jews looked down on Gentiles. Jews looked down on anybody who wasn't Jewish. They were outcasts from their circle of friends. They were not in the blessing. And as I taught on Wednesday, every single Gentile had absolutely no hope of a Messianic Davidic king. They had no national hope of a Messiah. They had no understanding of that a king was coming to rule the world. They had no understanding of that because that was given to the Jews as a promise, not the Gentiles. But now in this story here in John 12, now the Greeks who were the most predominant speaking people in the entire known world at the time, the language of the world was Greek. And so the Bible says the Greeks were coming to Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 23, now the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. In other words, now even the lost, even the outcast are coming to me. Even those who no one else would want and those who everybody else would reject. Those, the lost, the hurting, the broken, the drug addict, the, the harlot, the, yeah, all those people, they're coming to me. And what did Andrew do? Philip went to Andrew because Andrew probably had a position. And Philip didn't want to bring these Greeks, these lowlies before Jesus. But Andrew went before Jesus on behalf of the outcast. And he said, Jesus, these people want to talk to you. When's the last time you prayed for the people you've invited? 
When's the last time that you're praying for the lost in your family and saying, God, I pray that you would connect them to your grace. Lord, I pray they would have a revelation of you. It doesn't matter what church they get the revelation in, Lord. As long as they get brought to some house of God, it's not just about citywide, Lord. Would you save them in this church? Would you save them in that church? Lord, would you get them saved some way, somehow? When's the last time you got before Jesus on behalf of an outcast? When's the last time you went to those who had no hope and had no vision for God and had not salvation because they were blinded by the prince of this world, Satan himself? How many times have you gone in prayer before the Lord on their behalf? And you're sitting here probably thinking to yourself, well, Pastor, I got a problem praying for myself. How can I pray for somebody else? I don't even pray. Most of you aren't even thinking about the last person you prayed for. You're thinking about the last time you prayed. Because there's the issue of lack of prayer in the church, lack of intimacy with God. But one of the keys to bringing souls into the kingdom is beseeching the Lord in prayer and supplication and petitioning through fasting and just saying, Lord, I'm, I'm standing in faith, believing, Lord. Fasting and prayer doesn't twist God's arm, it just accelerates the process and opens the door for which God will operate. Great things have been done through fasting and praying and trusting the Lord. And say, Lord, I know they're marked for salvation. I pray that you would bring them in. Lord, I know that they're lost, and I pray that you would bring them in. Do you have a heart for the lost? The book of Proverbs says, great is the one, wise is the one who saves souls. He who saves souls is wise. Church, we're called as a body to go before the Lord on behalf of the outcasts, on behalf of those who don't know the Lord. Do you not know that you have a great light inside of you? That if you were to shine, it all would come to him. Do you not know that you have a joy inside of you that half the people around us might need on a daily basis? Know ye not that you are an inheritor of heaven? Know ye not that you are a daughter and a son of the living God? Know ye not that you are a prince and a princess of heaven? That your father has a plan that he would desire that you would multiply into the community and get others to come unto him? But the last instructions Jesus gave his disciples, you find in Matthew 28, many of you might know it, where he says, go ye and make disciples of all nations. Are you going to be a bringer to the Lord? I'd, I'd, I'd sure hate to be the one to go to heaven, and, 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 and I don't want to go to heaven and say, Lord, I gave this much of my money. Oh, Lord, I, I prayed this much for my, myself. I want to say, Lord, look at all these souls that I led to you. I did it not for my glory, but for yours. Like they used to say back at the old Shambach crusades under the tent in New York City. We're going to fill heaven by plundering hell. We're going to go to the deepest, darkest places in our communities. and We're going to shine the light of Christ. We're going to go to the highways and the byways. And many of you are waiting for the church to organize. Let's do a massive outreach. How about you do a mini outreach? How about you mini outreach your family and mini outreach your job and believe God that they're going to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Not just to fill the house, but to bless the heart of God. If you want to be an epic church, then our church has to be a church that constantly brings. 
Because when we bring, we invite others to encounter Jesus. Can you imagine before you had Christ, can you remember how your life might have been? But yet one day someone invited you. Yet yet one day someone came and said, you know, why why don't you just come to my church? You seem to be going through a lot of stuff. Amen. And you came and your life was radically transformed. Changed by a living God. You know, the greatest thing we could do with this gift is to give it away. But Andrew wasn't done. (laughs) Andrew wasn't done by a long shot. Andrew's greatest trick we find in John the 6th chapter, verse 5. And in John chapter 6, Andrew does the unthinkable. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these to eat? It seems like Andrew and Philip are always in trouble together. Amen. Where shall we buy food for this crowd? He understand that Jesus is looking at 5,000 men, the Bible says, which means about 10,000 women and children. So 15,000 people, most scholars estimate, are on this, this plateau where Jesus is preaching and teaching. And Philip is from the area, so so is why Jesus asked Philip, Philip, where's the closest bakery? Where's Chavez? What time do they close? <laughs> yeah, what, what time do they close at? And, and Philip is like, Jesus, it's going to take... Half a year's wages. Half a year's wages. Half a year's wages to get food for all these people. Are you serious? And while Philip, while Philip is worried about what can't be done, man, verse 8, but another of his disciples named Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would they go among so many? Let me, let, me, let me close with this. This is the most powerful view of the text that you can have. Here's point number three. Bringers rarely know how far what they bring will go. No, that sounds like a tongue twister, huh? Bringers rarely know how far what they bring will go. Man, the need, the need is 15,000 people strong. And while other people are worried about what they cannot bring, Andrew brings all that he has. Andrew is on the flip side because some people won't bring anybody. They won't get saved. <laughs> they ain't, ain't getting saved. They ain't no, they ain't gonna, nah. You went to the club last night? I saw it on Facebook. I'm not calling you in the morning. You, you should have just, nope, nope, nope. And we, we, we worry about who can't come as opposed to who can come. And Andrew finds this little boy, and this little boy has a, 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 a couple loaves of bread, and, and two fish. I think it's five loaves of bread. And, and they were not big loaves. It wasn't like the Chavez loaves where you can feed a couple of Puerto Ricans with a coffee. Amen. It, it, no, it wasn't like that. It was the Bible says it's, it's five small loaves. Probably little, just like this. And Andrew looks at this boy and he sees his, his, his snack pack that his mom packed for him that morning. And he's like, Five loaves, two fish. Jesus can use this. 
And he said, I don't, I don't know how far it'll go, but I got faith to bring it to you. I don't, I don't know where this is going to take me, but I got faith that somehow the master can grab a hold of this because you don't serve a God of addition. You serve a God of multiplication. And this little boy who he, he, he comes to the scene and rises to prominence throughout Christendom because he's known as the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish. But we didn't even know this kid's name. But this little boy lives in infamy because his is the meal that Jesus used to feed over 15,000 people and still have 12 baskets left over. You may not know how far what you bring before God may go, but bring them anyways because you don't know the purpose and the call of God on their life. Andrew didn't know that Peter would come to be the leader of the entire church in the New Testament, and he did not know the Greeks would be the greatest part of the church, and he did not know the little boy would would then be famous throughout all time because Jesus did a mighty miracle of feeding over 5,000 men and women and children. He did not know, but when you bring before God, you don't bring with your expectation. You let God have the expectation. Sometimes what you expect from God limits God. Do you want to be a bringer to the house of God? Because when you bring, God does amazing things. I want to be like Andrew, who I bring people to encounter a living God, and then God does a mighty work in them. And then God uses them in a mighty way. And then God transforms their life. That's what this church does. We want you to come in and to be a part. We don't want you to come in and sit down and do nothing. We want you to be an active part of the body of Christ and be used by God in great ways and in small ways. To be an epic bringer. We have a couple of epic bringers in our church. A couple of epic bringers in our church. Can I, as I fix my mic, can I just share with you some people in our church who are just amazing young men and women of God who have done an amazing work for the gospel? Absolutely amazing work. I want y'all to put your hands together for Two, and there's many epic bringers in our church. But the first one, I'm just highlighting two today. I want to talk to you about my cousin, the quietest person you know. Her name is Teresa Polite. And she's sitting right here, praise God. I text her and I said, I'm going to use a picture of you on Sunday. Which one do you want? You pick it out. And Teresa, one day, while she's at work, she was talking to a coworker, and she invited one person. Many of you might know her. Her name is Debbie DeRozier. <laughs> Debbie's not here today. She had an emergency, and she texted me this morning that she wouldn't be here. And that's fine. That's fine. I said, Debbie, you're going to miss out, but that's fine. Praise God. But what Teresa did not know was that Debbie is a bringer. And Debbie invited recently a, a young lady whose name is Candace. As that picture goes up, and 
That one got, got you cut off, Candace. You're cut off on the screens. I'm so sorry, Candace. And then Debbie invited Lynn, and Debbie invited Leslie, and Debbie invited Valerie, and Debbie invited Felicia, and Debbie invited Pauline, and Debbie invited Jeremy, and somewhere my dad comes up in the mix. I don't know where. And then Debbie invites Ty. And then Debbie invites her family and her father, Mr. DeRozier. And now Candace is bringing people. And all those people we named are bringing people. And all because Teresa decided one day to be a bringer. Because one person said, I'll bring that one, not knowing they would multiply by 10 into a church that God was moving in. Do you see the power of being a bringer? It's not a pyramid scheme. It's a God thing. That when you bring one, you ain't got no clue what that one will bring. Open your mouth and be a beacon of hope. But I got, a, I got another epic bringer. I don't like her as much as my cousin, praise God. I kid, I love everyone. I know her as Bebby. And Bebby's weird. I wrote that sentence with a pause so you guys can laugh, just like that. <laughs> Bebby's weird because nobody invited Bebby. She had visited during another service and she was looking for a new church for a while. And, and, and she came and Bebby, I don't know what, she must work full time recruiting for the church. Because Bebby brought first her brother Jacob. And Jacob got baptized a couple weeks ago. That's worth giving God praise for. I'll, I'll wait for you to clap. Amen. And then, I know Stephen's happy about this. Then Debbie brought Yoshi, Yashira. And I don't know where I'd be without Yoshi and our praise and worship team. We have our own real live Elsa full time. Praise God. And the thing is, is then she wasn't done. She brought... She brought Yasmary. And, and, then, and then she brought Michelle. I don't know. Oh, praise God. And then she brought Anacelia and Mike. And then she went out. And I don't know why she, but she brought Josh Echeverria. And maybe you don't know who Josh is, but him and Yoshi are the one who sang that last song. But it wasn't done because then Yasmary brings her friend Ashley. And then, then Michelle she wasn't done. Michelle starts bringing her brother Ricky. Come on, where's Ricky? There's Ricky right there. Ricky was a Muslim before he got to Citywide, amen. And then she brings her brother Anthony and then brings Angelie. Everybody praise God for Angelie. Then she brought Mary Ellis and then she brought Eurelis. Do you understand? And then Anacelia. And Michael brought, they brought, they brought their cousin Liz, Liz Amaya. And, and then now all these people are now bringing people because one day Bebby either picked up the phone, saw him in person and said, God is doing something so radically in my life that if you would come to the place that I am at, you'll begin to see how God is moving. And then people bring people who bring people. If you want to be an epic bringer, you will never know how far your invite might go. You might not know. It might save a whole family. might save a whole community. might save a whole neighborhood. But if you step out in big, bold faith and be an epic bringer and say, God, I want you to touch lives through my invitations.
God, I want you to touch hearts and touch lives. I want you to move in my city, but you got to bring people to encounter a living God. When you bring people, God touches people. If you will let God use you, he'll do it. You see, my favorite story in Scripture is a story of a woman who her husband had passed away and he was a follower of the prophet Elijah. And the Bible says that he goes and she goes to the prophet and says, I owe money. My husband's passed away. He was one of your friends and, and now they're going to take my sons away as slaves. And the Bible says that he says to her, what do you have? And she goes, I only got a little bit of oil. That's all I got is a little bit of oil. And he says unto her, he says to her, go around to all your friends and neighbors and get all the bowls that you can get. Get all the bowls you can get and begin to fill the bowls. And as scripture would tell us, my God, that she began to pour into the first bowl, the second bowl, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. We don't know how many bowls this woman had. But by the end of it, the Bible says that when she got to the last bowl, she poured out the oil and the oil stopped flowing. And this tells me the most powerful principle, one of the most powerful that I've come across in all of Scripture is that God is only limited in His ability to pour out as we put people before Him to receive. That he is limited by how much he can pour out because the church doesn't bring enough people in. He's limited to your ability to receive in your life by how many vessels you put around you to be able to receive. If you want to see God pour out like you've been saying, and you want to be the largest soul-saving effort, it's time to be epic bringers before the Lord and say, I know a place where you can find hope, and I know a place full of grace and full of the truth of the Word of God. And I don't know about you, but I want to see God do an amazing work. 31 years and God is not done. 31 years and we're in our greatest time as a church. You know, I was sitting down here during praise and worship and all I could think, all I could think, I remember sitting behind my, my, my corny little piano at my house, having service in my house. I remember I was so angry. I remember I was so mad. I was miserable. I came down from my bedroom, went to church in the living room. Terrible. Practice was in the dining room. And I remember, I just sitting there, just remember, and I started crying like, God, you've been so faithful. I remember coming up on eight years ago when, when God saw fit to take dad home, and I had an opportunity to bring myself to God and to humble myself before the Lord and to let God fill me up and let God be, let, let God do what he wants to do within my life. And because I brought myself to God and because I humbled myself to God, I had no church experience. I had nothing except I grew up in church and that was it. And look at God now. I'm talking about back when I was the whole band by myself. Look at God now. Look at God. When we had a sound system, it wasn't even good as a paperweight. Look at God now. We had no home. Look at God now. And the invite might not seem purposeful now, but you don't know what God's going to do with that person you're bringing. 
You don't know the life he's going to change through your invite. You don't know the people he's going to touch. You don't know the hope that will dispense from what you're doing. If you want to be part of an epic church, then you have to be a bringer for the presence of God. Would you stand with me today? He's here, and he's speaking to hearts, and he's speaking to minds. As we stand here today, there might be some of you here even now who haven't done the first step. And, and that's bringing yourself to Jesus. And maybe you're here today by the invite of someone, and maybe you're here today by just coincidence. Maybe you were walking by and decided to come, and maybe you met one of our street team people throughout the week. Maybe, who knows? Who knows what or why you're here? But here's the truth, is you don't have to leave the same way you came in. Because all around you are people who've experienced the power and the love and the mercy of God. Come on, would you do me a favor and bow your heads right now? Just bow your heads right now. Dear Heavenly Father, you see every heart that is here.